Friends, you're in for a treat today to hear about Jenny Smith, who is a phenomenal athlete with an impressive racing career spanning cross-country mountain biking, ex-terra triathlon, and running, where she has proudly represented New Zealand at world championships. But her story isn't only about athletic achievements. It's about resilience and adaptation and a lot more. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together but I never needed to completely reevaluate like how does my family and work and children and age and lifestyle factors what do they look like and how can I train within the you know I don't want to call them constraints but within the sort of parameters of of what I've got going on all of us listening are wondering, how do you do that? <laughs> Especially <laughs> me. Of, yeah, well, I mean, I think we need to have lots of good habits, which is, you know, I know I'm preaching to the converted there. And one thing, which even is more recent, like Brian will say to me, he's like, people always want to know what we do. Like, how are we competing? I'm in my 50s. And he's like, but then when I tell them, they don't want to know what we do. Like... You know, we go to bed early, we have baths, we don't drink alcohol, we eat really well, we watch rom-coms with Jade, like, mm -hmm. you know, not romantic, fun stuff, it's just the basics. I have been a fan of Jenny for a very long time, which you'll hear about in this podcast. When I first started in mountain bike racing and cross-country mountain bike racing, Jenny was at the top. So I was looking to her as a role model and as an inspiration. And over time, our paths continued to converge doing endurance mountain biking. We've raced Brazil. We've been at Brazil ride racing against each other. We've raced together and won national championships on a team. Jenny and I have a very long history of racing together around the world and living in Colorado. So I'm very excited to share her story today. We talked about athletic achievements. We've talked about how she pivots and how she makes decisions, but we also talked about how she navigated the transformative experience of motherhood while continuing to excel in her sport when seemingly nobody else was doing it. She candidly shares how becoming a mother impacted her training and racing, highlighting the challenges of balancing the demands of training with the responsibilities of parenthood. And this was speaking my language because I think that a lot of times people think, well, if you are a professional athlete and you train through your pregnancy and you, quote, bounce back and now you're racing again, everything is all good. And in my experience, I now have a one and a three-year-old. It isn't just about the uh, pregnancy and the recovery from pregnancy and getting back into sport. There's a lot to navigate after you have your kids, especially because little kids get sick all the time. And that means that you're sick all the time. And you also don't get to control how much rest you're getting. You don't get to recover the same way. And your life just looks a lot different. So getting to hear her story and share other stories like this, I think are very important because with professional women, whether you're in sports or in business or whatever it is, and you have a family, it's a lot to manage. And sometimes it can feel really isolating. As a coach, Jenny's goal is to empower athletes to focus on skill development and tailored fitness plans. Anytime people come to me asking me if I coach cyclists or runners, I always send them to Jenny because I like doing the mental performance and the health and wellness coaching side of things. And when I send people Jenny's way for cycling and running coaching, I know that they're going to be in fantastic hands. She looks at the demands of an athlete's target event and assesses where they are strong and weak in order to help them improve in the areas needed. She also emphasizes promoting positive youth development, which she spoke about at the Women's Cycling Summit last year when coaching adolescents and young athletes, giving them autonomy, flexibility, and choice while setting clear expectations and culture. And it was very inspiring to hear how she's actually executing that. So today you're going to hear stories of transitions and courage. You're going to hear about being flexible and how you manage big changes in your life. We talk about Jenny's philosophy and approach to coaching athletes, especially adolescents, 
And we also talk about her views on aging as an athlete and cultural identity. She speaks candidly about how difficult it was for her mentally whenever she turned 50 and how she's still racing at the top of the pro field. And there are not that many women out there who are who have chosen to continue racing at that level as they age. So she is setting another, yet another great example for me and many other women out there. So with that, let's dive right in. Here is Jenny Smith. Jenny, last time I saw you was in Colorado and it's nice to connect again. Yeah, it's awesome to connect. So let's see, we were at Breck Epic together and then at Grand Traverse together. So we got to see each other twice. Yeah, that was super fun. And it was just fun to have you around. Yeah, I miss miss it. And (laughs) the family and your parents. It was like, oh, this is so awesome. Like, this is not normality, but, you know, this is what a normality can look like for a little bit. Yeah. It's funny because I didn't grow up in Colorado, but when people ask me where I'm from, when they find out I don't live, I'm not from Canada, I always feel like I should say Colorado because I feel like that's where my community still is. And someone like you, like you are a pillar in the community there. So getting to see you again meant so much to me. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's not like you never left, but you know how it is. (laughs) Yeah. So you've done so much in your career. When I first discovered Jenny Smith was back in the Norba National days. I want to say it was probably like maybe 2006. Like it's so long ago. I can't remember the dates, but I would go to these cross country races and I was never that great at the cross country distance. But I remember Jenny Smith's name was always near the top of the results. And our mutual friend Nina Baum would always talk about how awesome Jenny Smith was. So that's how I first heard of you. But I discovered more like you, your background is not just in mountain biking. So can you tell us how you got into sport? Yeah, well, I'm from the West Coast in New Zealand and kind of from like a half athletic family. (laughs) Funnily (laughs) enough, like my parents are not athletic at all. But my dad's side is like, he was a principal and he was like super into outdoor education and We used to spend like, you know, summer holidays. My grandparents and my great aunt and uncle would have their caravans at a beach park for, you know, two months of the holidays. And so while we weren't athletic, we were really outdoorsy. And that's probably where my background lies, really. And um, my parents say, like, they can remember, I always wanted to run. Um, <laughs> I used to ask my dad if he could drop me at the crossroads, which is like eight kilometers out of town, and I could have run. Wow. <laughs> well, my uncle was like, I remember when you know I was like eight or nine, and I took him for a run along sort of like a, a trail along by the beach. So, um, for some reason, I always wanted to be a runner, and um, that was what I got into in my teens. I sucked at team sports, which is very New Zealand. To um, play team sports so I played netball and I was the wing defense which is the weakest position <laughs> and I played soccer and I was like the center defense in the back <laughs> they didn't need so I just like wasn't good at team sports and took up running instead. Hmm. What are some other things whenever you reflect back on your childhood or even like early adulthood some patterns that you about you that might be unique? Yeah that's a good question like I grew up, so my parents separated and divorced when I was seven, and I grew up with my dad, which in the 70s was pretty unusual. (laughs) In the 80s, he was a young principal, like 29, 30, and he had not a solo daughter because my mum lived in the same town, but I grew up with dad. And alongside that, I had like equal amounts, I think, of responsibility and freedom. And then I also, hung out with adults (laughs) because I was, you know, kind of like an only child in that setting. So that was probably a little bit different about me. So I never really minded going my own path. And I probably, on the same token, I'm from small town New Zealand and I didn't grow up with like deep roots and family traditions. So I was, you know, felt that I was different really, (laughs) sort of like did things a bit differently. I went to running and we have a, where I was in Greymouth, they have a super strong running club, Harrier club. And so as a, you know, freshman in high school, I was on the adult running club and was, Mm. you know, winning the local races and traveling with the 
adults to do relays and to other towns to cry. Well, you've been there. So from the coast to Christchurch for races and things. And I just um, kind of made my own mold rather than sort of fit in with um, that. Yeah. I think I think that's probably the biggest thing with my patterning is that it was always individual and I kind of went my own way with it. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting follow-up question that you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but a friend of mine and I were talking about this, like people who tend to go off and do things differently than other people. And I'm I'm kind of one of those people as well. It can be a lonely because you don't, you're not like everybody else. And because of that, depending on what community you live in, people view you as other and as like weird or different. And so it can be lonely to be on this, this other path and a feeling like you don't necessarily belong anywhere. Have you ever felt that way? Um, I think I definitely identified what's probably why I live in the States, to be honest. But And of course, that swings and changes over time. Um, but I for sure think I definitely recognized that I wasn't, not that I didn't fit in, but that I wasn't the same as like my peers at times. But at the same time, I probably have always found my home in sport mm-hmm. too. So, you know, that's kind of like a, you know, I've always found community with interests rather than, yeah, yeah, that's, hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, sport, community with interest. And yeah, I think that's a, one of the really special things about endurance sports is that it's a really hard sport. And people that come to the sport, there's, I mean, there's lots of different reasons, but there are typically a lot of different threads um, of how people can relate to one another. Yeah, for sure. So walk us through this running journey that you've had. So you were a freshman, you were running with adults. <laughs> yeah, so I I would ran, so it's very different in New Zealand. So that's for, mm-hmm. you know, to the States. So that's probably one thing to, to state at the get-go. And when I was in high school, I started running and ran with a Harrier Club, which is like a local community club. And they have, I don't even know if we have anything like it here, really, like, you so I ran for Greymouth Harriers and through that club we had like seasonal athletics and so we had track and field in the summer club based you know juniors through to adults and then in the winter we had you had like cross country running and then you had road relay running and you and road race running and that went to a regional level and on to nationals so you know paralleling my high school it's probably little bit like Nordic skiing is probably the closest thing I can think of mm-hmm. here that sort of mirrors that kind of outside of a, a school setting structure. And so, you know, throughout my high school, I was identified with being a runner and sort of had this running life alongside my high school. And that transferred into university where I went to Canterbury University and then proceeded to actually have a coach for the first time and join his running club, which was Canterbury University. And I ran for them for four or five years in Christchurch and maybe even longer. And then professionally, um, before I came to the States, I moved to Auckland and ran for a running club there. So that's kind of my story running. You know, Mm -hmm. through that time, I... um, won national titles when I was in secondary school at the end as a senior mm-hmm. and won junior New Zealand titles. Yeah, as well. So yeah, that's I, I'm so are. glad that you shared that because I think that sharing some of your like past results or things that you've accomplished can be uncomfortable. Uh, at least I'm uncomfortable like talking about some of those things. And I think that normalizing that it's like it's it's an important part of the story to talk about these things and it's it's amazing and it's inspiring so i'm so glad that you mentioned those things yeah i think so and i mean it really just brings to how i came to cycling actually like yeah. i moved to the states um when i was 25 and i took a running scholarship which was kind of random like i had graduated i was teaching and i had taken a job that actually taught like astronomy and uh, observatory in Auckland for um we had oh it's called um LEOTC it's like government funding to run education outside the classroom and I took this 
this job thinking that it would be amazing. And it was awful. <laughs> it was myself and, and my boss and uh we, you know, had a contract to fulfill and it. I just was really unhappy doing it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was 24 at the time and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm so unhappy doing this job. And at that time, I had friends who came to Gunnison um, running and they had come over here for some altitude training and they came back and they were like, Jenny, you should go and run for the university there. They really need women. Like, you would be great. And I was um, like, that sounds like an interesting idea, you know, like somewhat mm-hmm. not the path that I ever intended taking, but um, just something to try. So when I was... Um, 20- I'm going to stop you really quick. Yeah. yeah what gave you the mental flexibility or confidence to say, yeah, like I'm going to go do that instead of dismiss that idea? Yeah, that's a good question. I honestly, Sonia, like didn't know what I wanted to do professionally was one mm-hmm. thing. And then secondly, when you're a New Zealander, you can go to the UK and you can work for two years and teachers are really in demand doing that. So when I had agreed to come to the States, and there's another funny story about that too, but when I'd agreed to come to the States, I bought a one-way ticket to London. And so if I came here and I didn't like it, I could go on to London and work for a couple of years before going back to New Zealand. And that's a really common thing for young adults in New Zealand to do. So it was sort of like risk management, you know, kind of like, Mm -hmm. oh, this might be great. And if it's not great, then I can do the second experience and sort of figure it out Mm -hmm. um, after that. Um, And then when I had decided that, yeah, I give um, running in the States a go, I had another offer for a university in Savannah, Georgia. And, Mm -hmm. um, I was choosing between Gunnison and Savannah and I was really concerned about coming to Gunnison because I was like, man, I don't know what it's going to be like being 25 in a small town, you know, American uh-huh. university. It, it might just be all running and, you know, might not fit in at all, mm. which is really funny. I laugh about that now because I'm like, imagine if I went to Savannah, <laughs> I would have survived, you know, two months <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you went to Gunnison and you ran for the university. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and there were other New Zealanders here at the time too. Like I was, mm-hmm. the, there were five of us on the team. That was in 1999, and I, I think, was the eleventh New Zealander in the last, you know, decade. So it was sort of something mm-hmm. that that people did, and you had community and mm-hmm. stuff, and it was amazing. It was so fun to do that, but I was not very good at not getting injured. And and, uh, Gunnison and indoor track was like not a good recipe for me at all. So I got terribly injured running Mm. indoor track here in the um, winter, like trying to do speed work on snow and ice. Like it just, I'm just not a very (laughs) resilient runner. (laughs) And so I was, yeah, I was like on scholarship, um, not able to run, which was it was fine. Um, and then I met Brian, my husband, and the rest of that's history with biking because he was a cyclist and multi-sport athlete. And so in to spring of 2000, I was meant to be running outdoor meets in uh, California. The, you know, running is the same as biking. You tend to go to Southern California in the spring. There's a meeting there called Mount Sac. Um, that I was supposed to be running, but I couldn't run because I was injured. So Brian took me to Moab with a bike and uh, we rode Slick Rock. It was my first mm-hmm. ever mountain bike experience. <laughs> Not Pretty technical funny. in any no, way. No, I know. I felt like we're getting out of the mountain. It was so funny. It's so funny to look back too because it was like toe clips and I had racing flats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we did that the first day and the second day we rode Oh, Haral Pass and Jacob's Ladder. I'm telling you this because you probably know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, like crazy five-hour desert ride. And um, yeah, it's so funny. That's a great um, introduction that, to I know, biking. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I was so in love with Brian at the time yeah. that I just thought that this was all we did. <laughs> um, yes, anyway, after that Haral Pass um, ride, he took me out for dinner and got halibut for dinner. And I'm like, I think I like this guy. Like, I think this might be okay. <laughs> and then anyway... We returned from that spring break trip and I got into terrible trouble because, you know, that's not what you're supposed to do when you're yeah. on a running scholarship. <laughs> and 
um, the rest is kind of history. We got to the summer and Brian's friends built me up a bite and I actually did a race. I did a rage in the sage, which is a local, mm. it's now the growler, which was six weeks after the time that I'd first gotten on a bike. Wow. Um, yeah, I did the beginner category and ran most of the course and won it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> which is funny and then you know the rest is history like after that I just kind of followed him along and I think I won that beginner race and I upgraded to sport and I have such good friends from then Sonia like Nina and Becca Mm. Blay Uh like Becca and I raced sport together my first sport Mm. race and I got first and she got second so then I upgraded to expert (laughs) and still couldn't ride a bike and um that was that really and then just with uh New Zealand, I like, I think I turned, I had no right doing these things because I couldn't write, but I turned pro within like nine months and I went to Vail World Champs within a year of riding, which is really funny. Wow, and it was just pro. purely because as a pro, it was my third <laughs> pro race. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. And I, there are two funny things about that is that during the race, I always have deja vu when I race in Vail because some of the course is the same. But during that race, they brought us through the village. And for some reason, I had not pre-ridden through the village. I don't know if I didn't know to mm-hmm. or if it wasn't open, but I got it was in the race and I was like, oh my God, stairs. Like they took us down these oh, stairs yeah. and I'd never ridden down stairs before. And so I like went down the first set of stairs breaking the second set of stairs landed on my head and I Ooh. ended up, I finished the race, but went to the medical tent and ended up with a concussion. It was really funny. I was like, okay, wow. so we'll, you know, learn to ride a bit better before next time. But it is funny too. I was 40th in that race and it took me a long time to beat my placing, you know, done lots of other world championships. And it was like another five years until I cracked the top 40 again. Like you mm-hmm. just don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. such an interesting story about the rise into mountain biking because it is a technical sport and anyone listening has thought about some sort of sport thinking, well, that's too technical or I can't do that. But it sounds like for you, you know, you went straight in. You your first couple of rides were in Moab, which for those who've never ridden there is a, you know, pretty technical place, lots of rocks and steep stuff to ride, and then you again had the flexibility and confidence to say well, screw it. I guess I'm just going to upgrade to pro and I'm going to do this world championship, even though I've only been riding for nine months. And I, I know that I don't have the technical skills. So like, like how, how do you do that? Because I think a lot of people wish they could do that, but they don't. Well, I think that's where you asking me about running to begin with started with, because so mm-hmm. it's changing now, right? But at the time, so many women in particular came from other sports and I had like, I mean, I just, all the things I loved about mountain biking was this freedom from running. Not that I don't love running, but, Mm -hmm. you know, but at the, but at the same time, like the skill set that I had from running was, you know, allowed me to mountain bike. Like I knew what it was like to train and what it was like to be on a team and, you know, work with a coach and Mm -hmm. be in a New Zealand system and a collegiate American system and go to races and race, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think that sort of slid in. And the funny thing with the technical riding is like, I mean, I would cry and I would like, you know, pre-riding was so hard for me. me. I'd be so incredibly intimidated. And then I'd be like, I don't belong. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then when I was in the race, it would be just a different, I don't know, just like a different mentality, which I probably still carry to this day. I feel like I'm not necessarily the same person on and off the field, but, you know, like I would surprise myself with Mm -hmm. what I could do compared to the other woman I was competing against or or I'd just be, do stuff, you know, (laughs) that I couldn't do if it was just me or me and Brian on course with the bike. I think that's where that, you know, transference comes through. That's really interesting because I'm I'm actually the same way. Like I have a, especially here in Squamish, like people like to go really fast on the d- descents and I've worked really hard on my technical ability and it's one of my strengths. But when I'm out riding, I, I don't like to push really hard on the downhills. I just sort of, you know, ride the downhills at 50% 
and I don't want to push super hard, but on race day, it's like, I have, I'm like a totally different rider. I want to take the risks. I want to go super fast and, but I don't want to do it in training. So that that's interesting that you kind of feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Man, I feel like we need like a two hour interview for all these things. <laughs> yeah, so keep I, it on track. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, why don't you give us like general highlights from your mountain bike racing career? Because I, I really want to get into your coaching and the work that you do as a mentor and as, as a leader in our community too. Yeah. Well, race so cross, Yeah. I, cross country racing, I guess is kind of. Yeah. It doing. was yeah. thing for a while for sure, yeah. because I wanted to go to the Olympics and I was never, I didn't, I've been long listed for New Zealand twice and I probably would have gone to the Commonwealth games one year, except that I tore my rotator cuff. So I didn't, you know, meet either of those goals. Like I didn't get chosen for the Olympics and I didn't represent New Zealand at at uh, Commonwealth Games, but that was for sure like my motivation. I think it's normal, mm-hmm. you know, like that's a pretty common, mm-hmm. common thing for people. So I sort of chased that from 2000, you know, sort of somewhat tentatively through sort of 2008. Oh, not tentatively, to different degrees, I say, through 2008. Mm-hmm. But in uh, 2005, I think. I had friends that were racing Xterra Triathlon, um, Melanie McQuaid and Melissa Thomas and Jamie mm-hmm. Whitmore, and they were like, you should come do Xterra. Yeah. <laughs> really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and Brian too. So mm-hmm. we jumped into an Xterra in Keystone, I think, in 2005. And um, so funny, Sonia, I thought I could swim until I went to do a, a race and like, can't. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> I don't want to go too tangenty with it, but like, so couldn't swim that I was running in the shallows around the duck pond and was like, I wasn't last into transition because Jimmy Mortensen, I'm showing my age here, but couldn't swim either. So I was second last into transition, but I ended up finishing that race, maybe fifth, fourth or fifth, (laughs) on the podium with a lot of prize money. And I was like, oh my God, this sport's amazing. So from 2005 through to 2010, I kind of like did both sports, mm-hmm. Xterra and mountain bike racing. And in 2007 in particular, I kind of chose two because I really did want to go to the 2008 Olympics, but wasn't going to get there. And so be, mainly because we had one spot and a um, woman who was really good called Rosara Joseph. And so and I could have chased her around the world, you know, and not beaten her to that spot. So so I kind of leant more in the Xterra pathway, kind of 2007 to 2010. Um, yeah, it sounds like the Xterra was a nice thing to have because of the, like, I'm, I imagine that was really challenging for you not to be able to realize the Olympic dream. Yeah, it just wasn't practical. Like, because I lived here, so I didn't meet the enough criteria. I never had enough points. It really wasn't. Rosara was a class above me for sure. She was really special. Mm. But the other woman, you know, I fit right in with. I really, you know, yeah, you know, I kind of fit fit right in, but I didn't meet the UCI point chase. And it was just not... It was always a decision, like it just wasn't in my best interest to be Europe-based because I was making a life here with Brian. So, you know, it was kind of like relationships and our lifestyle versus chasing UCI points in Europe, which I know uh, people from all over the world have, you know, questions around and challenges around. But Xterra was a nice way to be able to bike race in the States, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you listening who aren't cyclists and who aren't really sure exactly, you know, this points thing or the Olympics thing, how it all works. And Jenny, you you jump in here because I might get it wrong. Basically, depending on what country you're in, depending on the overall points, is it per gender that you have, you qualify in a certain number of, of spots for the Olympics. And only certain races will give you points. And also you can qualify as an individual based on the number of points that you have. But if you live in North America, there really aren't very many races that give you these points so that you can go to the Olympics. 
So to qualify number one as a country and number two, um, qualify spots as a country and number two as an individual, you have to be chasing points like Jenny said in Europe or basing in Europe. So it's quite a sacrifice that a lot of people have to make, especially cyclists that want to go to the Olympics because you have to chase these points. Did I say all that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Xterra, um, yeah, good prize money. Uh, did you get better at swimming? Yeah. <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> in one year, I like, um, I don't know, one year I was all in because, you know, like I, I've done quite well at Xterra. <laughs> I've like, I think I, I don't know, I podiumed at the USA Championships like five years in a row and I've been fourth and sixth at world so mm -hmm. if I could swim I would have been really good yeah. <laughs> but I just like really good at gym. it's one of those sports and I have so much respect for people as adults that learn to swim Brian's still trying you know he swims three yeah. times a week wow. and well not trying he loves swimming but he's um he swims three times a week year in year out and has done for nearly 20 years and you could ask wow. him how he is at swimming <laughs> it's a tough sport yes no not at all I never really got any better but I mean I got better in the first time, <laughs> you weren't second I, to last out of the water <laughs> <laughs> no but I was you know pretty close to it yeah. yeah wow wow that's really interesting to hear about the swimming okay so Brian is also a crazy athlete <laughs> do you compete against each other or do you feel competitive against each other no not at all yeah no we don't like he bosses me around and I don't listen and uh -huh. then sometimes like a year or five or 10 years later, I'll be like, man, you're right. <laughs> like I should uh -huh. just listen to you. <laughs> but no, we don't compete at all. Like if anything, we make it work for each other. Mm -hmm. That's great. So you guys are yeah, supportive because yeah, when you get competitive people together, especially if they're in a couple and then there's lots of other um, variables involved, I can see you know, competitive juices flowing. I, I've, I've personally felt that way. You know, I had boyfriends that were professional mountain bikers or like even Matt, if he's like riding the trainer and he's crushing it and I'm not, I'll, I'll feel bad about myself. Like, Oh, why can't I do that right now? Or, you know, so just, I don't know. It's just something interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, not at all. And if anything, I'm probably, you know, traditionally been a bit more selfish and he's a bit selfless. So I mm -hmm. have to like, make sure that he gets, you know, he looks after mm -hmm. himself too, because he'll be the first to give up his, mm. you know, training or, you know, racing or whatever it might be for me or family or work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's see, it's your, your daughter is 10. So now in our timeline, we're getting really close to, you know, when, when you had your baby. Yeah, your baby. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like take us through the next couple of years and what that looked like deciding to have a baby. Yeah, for sure. So we, I got pregnant with Jade in 2012. And I mean, that's kind of an interesting one, Sonia, because I was 39 and didn't really know. Like on one hand, I wanted to have a child. And on the other hand, I really liked my life. And so probably Brian pushed that. Like in our 30s, he had been, because we'd been married 14 years, I think, before we had a child and he was sort of like oh you know it does I'm not sure if I want children and so I was of the same vein like yeah I'm not really not sure if we want children either and then in my late 30s Brian's a little younger than me that changed to him saying that yes he did and so in our relationship it was a big deal like we spent kind of about three years of me being 37 to 40 and I'm only putting numbers on it because I feel like 40 is kind of a choice for women. Mm -hmm. If they want to have children, like you can't just not make up your mind forever. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we both spent about three years being like, do we want to try for children? Don't we? If I want to have children, is it because I do want to have children or is it because I'm scared that I won't have Brian if I have mm -hmm. children? So that was quite tumultuous time in our relationship. And yeah. then we did, you know, decide to get pregnant in 2012. And at that point in time, I was like fully prepared to give up racing. And um, which of course I haven't, but you know, I was, was prepared to do that. And then um, we did get pregnant easily and she was, it was a really smooth pregnancy and 
she kicked my bum when she was born, but uh, you know, that, yeah, that was kind of, that was sort of that decision at that point in time. Like when I did choose to, or when we chose to have Jade, we both were very much on the same page that this is the important thing in our lives now, whatever we'll do from here on out will be shaped by Jade, which I think we try to stay true to, um, Mm -hmm. even though we still have a lot of freedom and flexibility as a family. Yeah, I want to talk about this point a little bit more. Why did you think that you had to quit racing? Yeah, well, good question. At the time, I was on a team, but it was also a bonus. Like I, you know, quote unquote, retired from Xterra in 2010 because I just couldn't not be injured. Another story for another day. But and so then, and I wasn't, you know, cr- cross country like Olympic racing anymore. So. In 2011, just for fun, I, it sounds like I'm giving too much information, but I think it fits. I was like, oh, I'll give endurance racing a go. I'll try Leadville, mm-hmm. which I did. And then in 2012, and I was a privateer too. I, I, at that point in time, I had been sponsored by Trek for seven years. In 2011, I wasn't sponsored by anybody really. So I did Leadville as a privateer just for fun. And in 2012, I then went to the Stands No Tubes Elite Women's Team as their endurance racer. So, you know, I was on a really well-supported team, actually. So that was a big question. Like, what would this look like being pregnant? Because other people weren't doing any of that time. Like, that I really, they weren't. Most people were either retiring Mm -hmm. and having children. So that was sort of one unknown and then the other unknown was just around work and, and life. Like if you don't have children, you don't quite know what it's going to look like. So I, more than anything, I was just <laughs> open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, obvious. Oh, no, no, no. I was just laughing at how crazy life is whenever you have little kids. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And, and too, you know, like you and I were friends at that time too. Like we, I traveled a ton. Mm-hmm. We, both Brian and I did. We you know, really went around the world with Xterra mm-hmm. and um, stage racing and things. And and that wasn't going to, to be, the, you know, that was mm-hmm. not going to be the same. So you thought that you would stop racing because number one, you might not have support. And number two, you just didn't know what it would look like. Yeah. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. Okay. So, I mean, that's a big decision to make. Like, how did you actually make that decision after three years of kind of going back and forth? I thought it was worth it. Mm-hmm. was was really and then I was also like super naive I'm like oh we'll give it a go and if it doesn't work out it's fine <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like um, which I would probably think differently about now too but um but it did you know it did work out and then that's that's that <laughs> mm-hmm. so take us through the transition from being you know you've been to world championships for three different sports like you've raced at the top of every you know you know You've raced at the very top of Xterra, mountain biking, running, to adding motherhood into your identity. Like, what was that like for you? And then how did you decide if you were going to continue racing or not afterwards? Yeah, good question. Well, first of all, like, Jade kicked my ass, if it's okay to swear. Like, (laughs) when she was born, she, like, was, the first year was insane. And Sonia, I have so much respect for, you know, you and Erin and, and anyone that just is quick to bounce back because that was not the case with Jade and I. And I did, I was working at the time too. I was coaching the Western Colorado University. And so I kind of like slid into work pretty quickly. But as far as me and training and bike racing, like it honestly took me a year. Mm -hmm. You know, like I remember 10 months in, I asked um, my friend who was coaching me if he'd coach me again. And when I did that, I was like, I don't know, this is a very good idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it was. And um, yeah, it really did like take me a, a year to have my feet on the ground. Like Jade wouldn't drink out of a bottle, which mm-hmm. is so funny. Oh, yeah. Um, and so like, it was so funny and it was just like, well, you know what that that looks like. Like that just meant that, every three hours I needed to be around, which for someone like me is kind of 
the funniest mm-hmm. thing ever. She was a super easy baby, but she refused to take a bottle. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, she didn't sleep, slept with us, you know, was really demanding of me. Yeah, so that was that was really the first year. I think it was just kind of a haze getting my feet under me and, and her going to. And did you have support from your, your sponsors at this point or? I did. I did. Like the, the, it was really just a leave of absence. Shannon Gibson was running the team and she was, you know, always really honest and open about what she was doing. And so she was like, we've got your place on the team, but we neither require nor want you to do it this year. Like we've given you a funding and equipment to to someone else. So that was 2013. So 2013, I had no obligations, but I could come back and step into it in 2014, which I do. Mm -hmm. And then you started racing again with a a baby. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. And now tell tell me all about that. (laughs) I mean, that's a huge learning curve too, right? Like in 2014, Sonia, I did so well. And to quote Nina, she's like, you're not the best you've ever been, but you're pretty good. <laughs> I was second at Leadville that year. You know, I really, I won the firecracker. Like I I did put in a proposal and it was much more regional. So, you know, I'd committed with the team to not travel very much. I think the only trip I took was to Whiskey 50 mm-hmm. outside of Colorado. So, um, but fortunately, Colorado has lots of great racing and Leadville was my A race. So, 2014 was weird. It was like uh, just really good racing form. But also I carried that into 2015 and I'm like, well, this was great. I want more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I proceeded to get so sick, Sonia, when Mm. Jane was, would have been two in 2015. I actually ended up having to take some time out of the race season, which I'd never done before, but I got to August and I, was going to do Leadville, but I deferred it. And I was like, I have been sick for like, recurring uh-huh. sinus infections. Uh-huh. And I was like, I have been sick for like seven months, like literally sick for three and a half of these seven months. And so I like stopped everything and did, in fact, did kind of like a full regroup. Didn't did you raise. stop training too? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, I need to get better. Like, this is mm-hmm. crazy. And during that time, I went to Training Peaks had a summit in Boulder, like mm-hmm. a coach's summit. And I went mm-hmm. to that summit and Linda Wallenfels was there. And I'm just saying this because she really helped me. And we were chatting at whatever we'd gone to together. And I was like, could you help me? <laughs> like, would you coach me? And she did. We started up again. I think I stopped training and racing for three, four months. And whenever we started up, I think it was probably December the 1st or maybe November the 1st, she like babied me and mm-hmm. sort of having my health and motherhood be balanced. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, which is an important part of the story, I think, because yeah. I just had to adapt to what it, what it was like. And like you say, you're experiencing so much illness and sickness. Like I did for sure. That was my 2015 and then from there, I just, I learned a lot actually through Linda and just less is more sometimes. And yeah. So what else did you learn? With getting back to health. Yeah. Well, you um, just said, you just said like, I learned yeah, a lot of things. I learned a lot. Yeah. So we just with like, you know, that was during that time I used HRV, which I don't do now. And, you know, with people I coach, I'll do occasionally, but not always. It was before WHOOP. Mm-hmm. Um, or automatic monitoring, but mm-hmm. I really just built from the ground up, like, what does my daily life look like? What do the things that I do affect my health, you know, and, and what is, we tied that in with HRV. I kind of used it for about six months and, and to like, what does rest look like and, you know, recovery and how can I polarize my training and work hard, but what do I need to recover from that, just a whole attention to the whole package, Mm -hmm. I think, that I had never needed to do before. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that we don't build good habits along the way, but I'd never needed to completely reevaluate like 
how does my family and work and children and age and lifestyle factors, what do they look like and how can I train within the, you know, I don't want to call them constraints, but within the sort of parameters of of what I've got going on. All of us listening are wondering, how do you do that? <laughs> Especially <laughs> me. Of, yeah, well, I mean, I think we need to have lots of good habits, which uh-huh. is, you know, I know I'm preaching to the converted there. And one thing, which even is more recent, like Brian will say to me, he's like, people always want to know what we do. Like, how are we competing? I'm in my 50s. And he's like, but then when I tell them, they don't want to know what we do. Like... You know, we go to bed early, we have baths, we don't drink alcohol, we eat really well, we we watch rom-coms with Jade, like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, not romantic, fun stuff, it's just the basics. Mm-hmm. But simple or basic doesn't always mean easy, and those pay massive dividends. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, so now your daughter's 10, um, you're still crushing it <laughs> all these places I've been personally crushed by you um <laughs> how do you view aging as an athlete because you you mentioned how old are you now 50 yeah and you mentioned like a lot of people are asking how do you do it because I think that a lot of people will say that they can't do something anymore or they won't even start something because of their age I'm too old to do that or I'm too old to to keep going and there are limitations to aging, I'm sure, like for sure, but I think that people use it as a reason not to do something or as almost like an excuse. So, can, like, can you tell us how you view aging and training and all those things? Yeah, I mean, well, and I've I've spoken about this with you before. Like, turning fifty was a really big deal for me. Like, I thought that it was a huge deal. And so now that I'm 50, I'm like, oh, that was no big deal. <laughs> I better just enjoy it while I can. <laughs> can you tell uh, everyone yeah, why, why was why was it a huge deal? I don't know. I built it up and I was crying about it, like legitimately crying, thinking about it for six months beforehand. I mm-hmm. think I just didn't know maybe how to be valid when I was 50. You know, mm-hmm. like I, it's one thing to be, a professional athlete in your 40s and by no means is that the only thing I do but I race professionally and it's another thing to be like oh my gosh I'm like racing professionally when I'm 50 it's it's kind of a a big thing that I hope isn't because it's not but I had a lot of pressure on myself for that for sure I think and then just other questions about like is this what I want to do with my life like what am I doing with my life mental health things that I really addressed last year when I was 50 that, you know, I needed to and recalibrating, I think, and rebalancing just our health. Just sometimes things surface, like when, you know, 2015 was a big year for me recalibrating my lifestyle and that I needed to do again last year Mm -hmm. as well. But, you know, as far as aging goes, I think it's a matter of like choice for one thing, and then common sense for another and um, being open to change, but not being fickle with it either. Mm -hmm. And like what I mean by that personally with me is like, you know, I've gone down, you know, like I don't, I think you just have to address things as they come up, but take it into the grand scheme of everything. Like, what am I doing well and what do I need to tweak and what might I need to address? But we don't have to throw the water out just because we're another year older. Like, and yeah, if I'm, I'm sort of probably feel like, but like I'm talking in circles, but like, I don't, you know, I don't adopt a whole new thing just because I'm 50. I keep mm-hmm. a lot of things that have held true for my life and I just sort of change the things as they need to come up, like address health issues if they can't come up. Or last year I addressed mental health and it's been amazing. And or two years ago, I had a whole hormone panel taken and then sort of delved into some adaptations from that. And 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 I'm going to do that again recently because I'm like, I'm not quite sure where I am with perimenopause and menopause. And I, I think two years is long enough to have gone between 
hormone checkup. So that's on my to-do list now. And then, you know, my goal for this year is to get stronger because I don't love the gym, (laughs) but I need it. So that's like my overarching Mm -hmm. 2024 goal. So adapting some of that research where it's like, okay, while we have hormones, we need to antagonize our muscles and keep our our strength going. But that's not the only thing I'm going to do because I'm an endurance biker. I need to, to ride endurance too. So that's sort of what I mean by like pulling in what's needed, but not like going crazy with all the, the research. Yeah. And that's a fine line to walk because it's great that now there is a lot of emerging research. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I feel like we could record a podcast on each one of these, like record an entire one on motherhood, one on uh, aging, one on uh, what we're about to talk about your coaching. So maybe you'll have to come back and talk about some of these other things in a bit more detail. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So let's talk about your coaching real quick. Like you taught, you were a speaker at the women's cycling summit and you, if if people want to go listen to this, it's on my Instagram page and we recorded the whole thing, but your approach to coaching is is really unique, I think, especially um, how you coach the adolescents and and the is it the high schoolers? Mm-hmm. So yeah, can you yeah. tell us like you coach individuals because I'm always sending people like I anyone yeah, comes you to me, are, like, thank you <laughs> like hey, hey do you coach I'm like nope but Jenny does go see Jenny <laughs> um, yeah can you just tell us about your approach to coaching uh, adults and also adolescents? Yeah, I mean that's a big question. Um, <laughs> you know my. I even summed it up for someone recently and I was like, that was so good. (laughs) You know, someone asked me about my coaching philosophy recently and I had to kind of like go away and think about it. And then I was like, well, really, it's super simple. We look at for, you know, for ourselves, right? Or anyone that we're coaching, we like, look at what we're doing. What does that skills, what's required by that? task, whether it's an event or a race season or a type of racing or whatever it might be. Like say we use the Whiskey 50 as an example. And then, you know, what skill set do we need to do to be able to do that event that we want to do? And then on the other hand, where are we at with regards to that event that we want to do? What are we good at? What are we not so good at? What do we need to develop in order to, to be better at? at that event and I think that's that's really how I view my coaching like it's a process of working with an athlete to help them get their skill set and fitness as good as they possibly can for whatever event that that they're doing yeah that didn't answer your question so that's kind of you know I, I coach people personally and individually because it's very different we need different things at different times and then that's kind of like half of my coaching and the other half is that in more you know sort of the last well I started with the university originally over a decade ago so sort of in the last decade I've worked with youth and then and since 2017 or 18 I've worked with under 19 athletes and teams and programs. And the thing that really struck me when you were talking about how you work with these adolescents is you give them a lot of autonomy and choice. So can you talk about that? Yeah, well, we, you know, with the high schoolers or the under 19s that we work with, like our overarching mission is to promote positive youth development and that was introduced to me by Amy Nolan who's the director of CB Devo and it really struck home and so I keep that in mind with anyone that I work with and use it as a check and balance towards you know what we are doing and what they're doing so that's you know one thing and then in working with teams or leading groups I think it's super important that we have like buy-in so they you know have expectations that they have you know that together we agree to do and and everyone is on the same page with that and then you know that creates a positive culture which in turn creates you know positive youth development and yeah, and then the freedom and flexibility and choice within that, I think, just fits within the overarching theme of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Is that is that kind of what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes I'm like, 
I wonder if I should be more, but it's not my style. Like when I work with youth in particular, like I really want them to be able to make choices and, and do what they're doing and find their own way. And that's how I lead really. I, I don't like, I'm not someone that my way is the only way or I've done it this way. So it should be like that. I really just do try and look out for each person, but, but at the same time, tell them the truth as to what we're doing and what, you know, why we're doing it. Yeah. This reminds me of what you said at the very beginning of your adolescent um, journey as a runner. Like it seemed like you had a lot of flexibility and, and ability to make your own choices moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're just going to record another podcast, which is <laughs> awesome. Um, if you'll, if you, if you want to, but yeah, yeah it's like so fun to talk to you, like where there's all kinds of things we didn't even touch on. I know. Yeah. Well, w- when you <laughs> have somebody as eclectic as you, it, it's really hard to jam everything into one hour. Um, but I wanted to spend time on the earlier years of Jenny Smith, because I think a lot of people know you before, like they know you as your, as ex-Terra Jenny or as Jenny, the professional mountain biker. But I was just curious about like how you grew up. And I, I guess one last question, since I have a minute here is, do you consider yourself, because now that I live in another country as well, I'm not my native born country. Do you consider yourself more American or more New Zealander now? I, I think I'm more New Zealander. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I love Colorado. And people uh-huh. are like, why don't you live in New Zealand? I can't believe you don't live in New Zealand. I'm like, I live yeah. here. Like, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah. Both, probably. A blend uh-huh. of, yeah, no, it's hot. Yeah, I don't know. It's super what, interesting what about to think you, about Sonia? <laughs> I, I definitely identify, like I'm a, you know, I'm a dual citizen, but it's been interesting for me because a lot of the people I'm meeting, like I've lived in Canada for a decade now, people think I'm Canadian they, and it's weird. Like I don't, I don't identify, like, I don't feel like I'm a Canadian. I feel like I'm an American. And then I, yeah. And I, I feel weird if somebody says, oh, you're a Canadian. It's like, um, I live in Canada and I love Canada, but I'm, I'm not a Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I'm still a New Zealand citizen, so that probably uh-huh. answers that question. Like Jade is dual. We could get Brian dual, but I can't get dual to the, to my knowledge. I think in order to be mm. American citizen, I need to give up my New Zealand passport, and mm. I don't want to do that. But I mean, I love where we live and our mm-hmm. community, and yeah, and I'm lucky. Yeah, I think like uh, Matt Matt said something like, "Well, you know." to me, he's like, you've been national champion and, and, you know, for, as a U.S. person, or, you know, you've represented the U.S. at world championships. So that's why you probably really still identify as American because my accolades are under the American flag. So I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. But actually this, this brings up another quick question. So you and myself and Rebecca Rush and Kelly Boniface won U.S. nationals for 24 hour racing, but you, so but do you have to be a U.S. citizen? To no, win that? I could do. No, I could. Yes. So we, I could do. I actually looked into it. You probably never knew that. Like uh-huh. prior to doing that race, I could do uh-huh. that because it's not a UCI event. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've got this tiny wild here and I need to talk to Erin Huck about it because I, and I would need to be riding well enough, but I'm really tempted by marathon world champs being in snowshoe. Uh-huh. Have you you been tempted by that at all? That's this year. Ah, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, um, mm. I, I don't know whether it's really even. I wouldn't want to do it if I wasn't riding well enough. But I'm a little bit tempted by that, and I would do that as a New Zealander. Yeah. Um, if I, I could get New Zealand to select me. So. Yeah. <laughs> I did marathon world champs, and like, gosh, it was. I was such a new. I, I'm like you. It's like I'm just going yeah. low, and I just go yeah, do I stuff. So it was like. Yeah. I don't even know what year that was. Maybe 2012. I was new to endurance racing, but I got them to, I got selected for marathon world, but it was in Germany and it was this horrific course. There was, it was all just like kind of flat dirt road riding and I didn't have any support. Like it was this horrible experience. <laughs> so yeah, it'd be nice to do another marathon world yeah, and have a good I've, experience. <laughs> yeah. And I've never done it. I just need to look. I, I have never done marathon worlds. Uh-huh. So the fact that it's in West Virginia kind of just has it's a really little cool. bit yeah. thing. I think it's after Brett. Well, we'll have to keep an but, eye out for, for yeah, that keep just an in eye case. <laughs> and ask Erin about it because she did the, I think she did the course last mm-hmm. year. And it, I think it was horrendous. But mm-hmm. anyway. <laughs> well, Jenny, 
Thanks for taking the time with your busy yeah, schedule welcome, to come on Sonia. here. Thanks where can so people much. where can people find you if they want to ask you more questions? Oh, well, good question. They can find me on Instagram and just DM me. And it's currently, there's a story about that for another podcast, but it's currently <laughs> Jenny S Bikes. It's not Jenny's uh-huh. Bikes. It's Jenny uh-huh. S Bikes. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's probably the best place, Sonia. Okay. Well, thanks so much. And I'm so glad that we got to record this podcast. Thanks, Sonia. Take care. Ciao. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Jenny is awesome and I could talk to her all day long and I could have her on the show many times over. So that was so fulfilling to get to talk to her and I'm still glowing and smiling from it. Make sure that you follow her, go to Instagram and check her out. Also, she has a lot of great races on tap this year. And if you're in Colorado, make sure that you say hi to her if you see her at a race. She is so approachable and wonderful to be around. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and to share the show with your friends. And we always appreciate reviews. I am so grateful that I've been doing this show for so long. I don't even look at the downloads anymore because I don't want that to ever be the reason why I do the show. I want to do it because it is something that I am truly passionate about to help you be better every day. And with that, I am always with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week.